0: What you saw there just a moment ago was three generations. Okay, now, of course, uh, Hannah's not Stephanie's daughter, but uh, she is a granddaughter to uh, Mrs. Wetzel. And you had three generations up here singing. Isn't that wonderful? Let me tell you what, that's the payoff when we give our life completely to Christ and we sell out to the Lord. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's wonderful to see them coming behind, right? Leaving a legacy. And boy, what a blessing it was to see all three of them up here Three generations singing together. That's a blessing. Grandma, daughter, and granddaughter.
1: Amen. were made there just for me, for all my sin, my sin.
0: Let's take our Bibles and turn over the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 today. If you were hoping to talk to me, me after the service, I have to leave immediately. I've got to pick up a bus, so I'm not going to be able to be here, okay? So if uh, I I mean a moment we end here, the moment the prayer starts, I'm running out to my car and I'm going to pick up a bus. So if you're looking for me, I'm not here. I just want you to know that I don't normally have to do that. But under the circumstances today, we need to do that, and so I won't be available. So if you need me, come back tonight and I'll be more than happy to talk to you and we'll be glad to get that settled. And again, I apologize for not being able to greet some of you that are visiting with us. Uh, maybe spend a moment talking just getting to know one another but unfortunately today I, I need to go and take care of that we got our buses are kicking back up today and uh, just worked out that I'm, I'm going to have the opportunity to drive one of the buses so you um uh, be patient with me today and then tonight like i say i'll be more than happy to discuss or talk with you if i could please come back and see us tonight uh, you'll be uh, you'll enjoy our vision night actually it's a it's not the same as normal to be honest with you we're not going to be Uh, Doing things the way we normally do. It'll basically be a PowerPoint. Now there'll be a message in the PowerPoint. Don't misunderstand me, but uh, our goal is like just to kind of recap a little bit of last year, kind of talk about the direction we're going and then kind of unveil that new theme that we have for this coming year. And I'm excited about the new theme. And uh, it's one of those things that probably could preach on every single week. But uh, tonight we'll unveil it and give you kind of the basic, the foundation of it all. And we'll look forward to that tonight. So please come back tonight at 6. We'll look forward to seeing you, being with you this evening. Take your Bible, as I said, Ephesians 6. We're going to look at verses 10 through 12. We're going to start right there. And um, so let's begin reading. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places boy i'll tell you what no truer words can be found i mean we are definitely in a battle today aren't we we're in a warfare and it's certainly abounding everywhere we go at every turn Boy, that song was so special as they sang today. I mean, we've got somebody there for us in the midst of those difficult times. The Lord Jesus Christ, amen? We're so blessed and we're so fortunate. When the world has no one to look to and the world has to face life on their own, we have Jesus to face it with us. And boy, what a blessing that is. Today, this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the subject of... I'll state it here in just a moment. Let me just kind of backtrack a little we're dealing with Satan today, and, and, and Satan's a real character. We know that. But, you know, when you think about Satan, you think about somebody that's really wicked and sinful and really somebody that is extremely uh, uh, grotesque. But the fact is is that the devil, as um, wicked as he is, can really present himself in a very good light. Well, I want to ask the question, or I want to make the statement today and talk to you today about this subject. And years and years ago, I did talk about this and I shared this years ago and uh, it's one of those messages that there's a couple of messages that I do regularly there's some that I do very far apart a couple of them this is one of those but here's the the issue why Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians now there's no doubt there's a devil in the Bible and by the way he's real he's not just it's not like he's the dark force You know, I know there's that series, uh, you know, Star Wars, and there's the dark force. But can I tell you something that Satan is more than a dark force. He is a person. He is an entity. He is as real as you are real. I, I think it's interesting, and I think to myself, there is no way in the world that Satan could make a better Christian than a Christian could. But let's consider that today. Let's just... Slow down a minute. Let's look at some of the characteristics and the qualities of Satan and compare them to you and I today as believers. Wouldn't it be sad to think that Satan would be a better Christian than you or me? Absolutely it would. But just maybe we might find there's some areas or some things in our life we need to tighten up as we go into 2018. Why Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you for this privilege to be here today. Lord, it's so great to gather with the people of God. Father, we are glad that we enter into your family and we become the children of God, making us brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, today we gather here, Lord, with the express purpose of bringing glory and honor to you. You're so worthy of that. But in the midst of bringing glory to you, we want to learn and grow, and we want to be able to see what you have for us. We want to be inspired and motivated to be better and more for you, in a sense, to become everything that you would have us to be, to be more Christ-like in our approach, our attitude, our outlook, and our actions. Now, Father, bless us today as we consider this thought, oh, why Satan might be a better Christian than some Christians. Lord, may we truly allow you to speak to us through your Holy Spirit and your Word. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. And Lord, if there be any here that are without Jesus Christ, that have never invited him the person, Jesus Christ, into their life as Lord and Savior, that before they leave today, they would do that. We'd certainly praise you for that, and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, why Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians, number one, he's faithful to attend every church service. Look if you would in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I mean, he is faithful. I guarantee you, Satan's here right now. I'll guarantee you, he or his Ms, his his. Uh, uh, angelic host, so to speak. Now, of course, it's an evil angelic host, if you will. But I'm telling you what, he's got troops on the ground right now. And they're doing everything they can to distract you and to keep you from hearing the Word of God. In First Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour." He is walking the aisles today. He's walking through those aisles, and He's trying to distract you, and He's trying to get you off guard. He's trying to keep you from focusing on what's most important. Now listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. Right now, I've got a daughter who's having a baby as we speak. But can I tell you, there's nothing more important in the world going on than this right now. Because this is where God has me, and for this purpose. Now I know some of you may not agree with that, but for me, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Again, you can, we can argue it, and you could say, well, Grandpa ought to be at the hospital. We can argue that all day. We could decide that. Do I want to be there? Yeah, I wish I could be there. But I have a responsibility. This is priority one right now. She understands that, and everyone else does, I hope. But the fact is, is that there's places and things we need to do in life and we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted by the devil. And may I say that phone that you're carrying and that watch that you have on your wrist and all the other different devices that you may possess right now that are on your person can distract you. Don't think for a minute Satan is not walking up and down these aisles trying to divert your attention from what is most important. And that's what's going on right now. This is priority number one. If this is where you're seated today. Oh, I know you've got financial issues to attend to, and you may have personal things that have to be addressed. You may have family matters to attend to as well. But the fact is, right now, don't allow Satan to distract you now. This hour is God's hour. This hour is the place where God has you. This is priority number one now. But boy, Satan is good. He is faithful to attend every church service, and I promise you, if he can, he'll distract us in the midst of it all. Why do you think we have a nursery? So we can avoid distractions. So Satan can't come along and pinch one of them babies and cause it to distract the service. Boy, don't think he doesn't. I mean, we are very careful to try to put the aura or the the service in a state where it's focused on the front. Why do you think that the stage is designed the way it is? Why do you think the pulpit is where it is placed? So that when you walk in the doors of Community Baptist Temple, what is the first thing that you notice probably? The front, the pulpit, because that's where we want everything to go to, the Word of God. And you know what? Satan's here today. Man, why Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians is that he's faithful to attend every church service. Number two, oh, just may I say this? I learned that lions roar mostly at night and only in their own territory. Well, what a great reason to be in God's house then. Because this is really not his territory. Oh, he may be over there trying to pinch a baby. He may be trying to distract you. But I'll tell you what, he gets to roaring and God's going to step on him. This is a good place to be if you're a believer then. Because this is a place where God's in control and says enough's enough out of you, buster. He's faithful to attend every church service. Number two, he's concerned about souls. I'll tell you what, how, how many would disagree? I don't think anybody in the room would disagree with the fact that Satan would, he's concerned about souls. The only problem is he doesn't want them to go where God wants them to go. See, can you imagine how it would be? I mean, for, for Brother Kavanaugh, God forbid he would go to hell. Can I tell you who that hurts more than anybody else in the world? Hurts God. Because God created him. God loves him more than anyone does. God loves him more than his wife does. God loves him more than his children do. God loves him more than than you love him. God loves him more than anybody. He he can't even love himself as much as God loves him. And if Satan can get him to go to hell, then Satan gets a victory over God. It's God he hurts, and that's Satan's ultimate goal. Not to hurt you, but to hurt God through you. Listen, let's face it as parents, the best way or the the most effective way for someone to really hurt us is to hurt us, our children. Go ahead, do what you want to me, but leave them out of it. And boy, let me tell you, Satan's a dirty fighter. And today, Satan's more than willing to drag you down to hell and anyone else he can because he knows that's what will hurt God the most. And may I say today that he may make a better Christian than some Christians because he is concerned about souls. Boy, how we ought to be. Boy, we ought to be concerned about souls and where they're going to spend eternity. How about you? What evidence in your life proves that? Number three, what might make Satan a better Christian than some Christians is he's very familiar with the Scriptures. Very familiar. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. He's very familiar with the Scriptures. You've got to understand that for the last 6,000 years, he's been digging in. He's a student of the Word of God. You say, that's ridiculous. Oh, no, he knows the book. He knows the book. Look at it here in Matthew chapter 4. Of course, in this particular passage, we know that Christ is driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, and he's confronted by Satan. He fasts and he prays for 40 days and 40 nights, and... That Satan, the God of this world, little g-God, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, shows up. Notice what is said here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, Then the devil taketh them up into a holy city and setteth them on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. You say, well, that's that's interesting, so what's that have to do with Satan knowing the Bible? Can I tell you that that was already in the Word, and he is just simply quoting the Scriptures? In the book of Psalm, chapter 91, verse 11 and 12, here's exactly what it says. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Satan is using the Word of God against Jesus Christ himself, who is the Word, mind you. There's nobody that knows the Word any better than Satan other than Christ, who is the Word then. The truth is, there's no theologian, there's no pastor, there's no rabbi, there's no priest. There is nobody on this planet that knows the book any better than Satan does. And may I say, friend, he will use the Word of God against you. How is it that people can say, well, God told me to do this, and in the Scriptures it told me to do this. And we say, how in the world did you get that? Because Satan can twist Scripture I don't know the Bible as well as Satan does. He's had 6,000 years to study it. Actually, he's had, yeah, 6,000 years. I mean, he was around in the garden. And even before that, he was around. He's very familiar with the Scriptures. Boy, as believers, should we not be familiar with the Scriptures? Shouldn't we dig into the Word of God? Shouldn't we take time to memorize it? Shouldn't we be able to kind of compose or compile ourselves a, 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 a meaningful means by which to disseminate doctrine, to share the truth with people? Shouldn't we be able to recall things that we've learned in the past? Shouldn't we be able to quote a scripture when it's needed or share it with a family member or a friend that's in need? Yes, we should. We should be familiar with the scriptures. But sadly enough, Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians. Number four, he talks to God on a consistent basis. Do you th- consider the, the wonderful privilege it is to be able to pray. And, and probably in this room today, there's not one of us in here that wouldn't say, boy, I probably need to pray more. I mean, whether you pray four hours a day or you pray four minutes a day or you pray four seconds a day, you probably think to yourself, I ought to pray more. But I'm going to tell you something. Satan, Satan talks to God on a consistent basis. You say, he does? Yeah, look at the book of Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. This one's kind of hard to put your, wrap your mind around, because we've been taught kind of that Satan is bound in hell, that somehow Satan has been cast away, that he's locked away somehow, but he's not, he is free to roam. That's why Satan can be in this service today if he chooses. But if he's not here, I guarantee you one of his are here. I really don't flatter myself to think that I'm big enough on the totem pole that Satan really has to bother with me, to be frank with you. Because he is not omnipresent like God is. I'm sure there are bigger fish to fry than me. But I'll guarantee you he has assigned somebody to me and he has assigned somebody to you too. Number four, he talks to God on a consistent basis. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. That word sons of God, that phrase refers to the angelic created beings, those beings that were created there. And so that angelic host is gathering themselves before the Lord. And the Bible says Satan came also among them. So he of course was uh, we know early on in the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel that he was before uh, the garden even we know that he he was the anointed cherub that covereth we understand that he probably had interaction and in conversation even with some of this angelic host that are reporting to God now even as there's a hierarchy in in God's economy there's a hierarchy in Satan's and the truth is is that, that it's a it's an army if you will with commanders and and captains and, and squads and so forth. And so now here we have Satan here. Coming in with these who are going to give account to God. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Where are you coming from, Satan? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Now, how is that possible? We think to ourselves, there is no way that a person that is inherently evil like Satan could be in the presence of God who is holy. And yet we have evidence of it right in the scriptures. The fact is that Satan himself can indeed enter into the place where God is. And he can communicate and talk with the Lord himself. We have evidence of it. Hey, Satan is as active in your life as God is active in your life. Don't think for a minute that you are a, a non-factor, that somehow you don't matter, that you're not big enough. Hey, it may not be Satan himself that's dealing with you, but he's got somebody that's keeping check on you. Somebody that's holding, that he's holding accountable for what you're doing and where you're at and what's going on in your life. And in this particular case, he literally shows up with this, the sons of God, the angelic host, that are going to present uh, their, their report back to God. And he shows up and he says, hey, where are you coming from, Satan? I'm walking up and down on the earth. I'm just strolling around. I'm checking things out. I'm, I'm observing things. I'm watching over things. I'm keeping an eye on things. Well, hast thou considered my servant, Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Satan answered. The Lord, Hey, he's communicating. They're having a conversation. And he said, doth Job fear God for naught? Of course Job serves you. Of course Job's faithful. Of course Job's hanging in there. Because you've done nothing but good for him. Let the hammer fall. Let the axe drop. And I guarantee he'll turn his back on you and he'll curse you. Well, God allows Satan to give it a shot. See, that's pretty rough. I mean, why would God allow him to do that to Satan? That's another message. But the fact is, is that we find here that he's communicating. Can I tell you today that Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians because he is communicating with God on a consistent basis. How often do you talk to God? How often do you talk to God? I'm not just talking about running out the door. Lord, help me. Now, I don't know about you, but I do that. I hope you do that, too. But I'm not just talking about that. Hey, listen, I think that we ought to take Christ with us everywhere we go. Man, I mean, right now I should be saying, Lord, help me now. I need you. And I know he's helping me. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me strength. Man, I need that. But wait a second. Before I ever got up here, I better have asked for that too. Well, I mean, every day I need the Lord before I walk out the door of my house. I need the Lord to face each day because I don't know what I'm going to face. I really don't know. It might be easy. It might be hard. You never know, do you? Boy, how we must communicate with him, and we must have him in our life actively, communicating consistently even. Boy, Satan does. Number seven, though. Boy, oh, excuse me, I just, uh, I just skipped a couple here, didn't I? Number five. Wow. He's not bothered by what others think of him. Now again, I, I, again, don't misunderstand that. We ought to be concerned how people view us and how they think about us. We talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night. But the fact is, is that as long as we're doing what we ought to be doing, we're holding the line, we're continually following the Scriptures, we're being faithful to the Word of God, then listen, if you don't agree with it, world, I'm sorry. I'm going to please God before I please man. You know, Satan doesn't care if God's pleased. He doesn't care if man is pleased. He doesn't care if anybody's pleased. It's all about pleasing him. He don't care what you think. Satan, you're a bad boy. I'm sorry. No, Satan could care less. If you want to see bad, keep talking to me like that. Even Michael the Archangel wouldn't bring a railing accusation against the devil. He doesn't care what we think. And in a sense, as a believer, we ought to get to the place where as long as we are being faithful to the word of God and we are living the life that God's called us to, we're, in a sense that we're, we're living in Christ-like character and Christ-like in conviction, then listen, we ought to say, you know what, whether you agree or disagree, I cannot, I can't, I can't change that. All I can be is what God wants me to be. I'm going to be faithful to him and I'm going to please him above all else and anyone else. Number six. He believes in heaven and hell. He believes in heaven and hell. Now, as a believer, we ought to believe that. But think about the depth in which we believe it. Look in James chapter 2, verse 19. The verse doesn't specifically say that Satan himself, uh, in a sense, believes here uh, about some things. But it does talk about those, his devils, or, or his, as we would often refer to them as angelic beings, his host, his His army. Note what it says about them here in James chapter 2, verse 19. Again, James is speaking. He says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. They're trembling for a reason. They know who God is and they know uh, what's going to go down too. He knows the book better than anybody, as we mentioned already. And let me tell you something. He is very aware of heaven, and he's very aware of hell. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more a little later, I believe. But the fact is, is that he is extremely aware of heaven and hell. And he believes in it. He believes in it. What about you? What about me? Well, I talk about it. I'll talk about heaven. I'll talk about hell. But... Let's be honest, if I was really convinced there's the heaven of the way I believe there's a heaven, then maybe I might not be so desperate to hold on to what I have, my life. If I really believe there was a hell, I might be a little bit more anxious to try to reach my loved ones and friends. I'm just saying we can intellectually grasp the reality of it, or in that sense, we can say, I know there's a heaven and hell intellectually, but has it reached our heart? Has it truly affected our outlook, our life? It's one thing to be a hearer, it's another thing to be a doer. Satan is a doer. He has a confidence. He knows there's a heaven and a hell. And let me tell you what, his entire purpose revolves around those issues. I'm going to get victory over the Lord. I'm going to take I'm going to sit on the throne and I'm going to damn every single creation of God to hell. Sorry, you've lost already if that's your goal, but I'm telling you, he's fighting for what he wants and he believes in heaven and hell like nobody's business. And you know what? We ought to as well. Number seven. Finally, we do arrive there. He spends time with dedicated Christians. (laughs) I like this one. He spends time with dedicated Christians. Look, if you would, in Job again, chapter one. It's interesting when... Job shows up there with the sons of God and he begins to interact and communicate with the Lord. And the Lord ultimately says, Where'd you, where are you coming from? Well, I've been in to and from the earth. I've been going here and there and so forth. And he, he ultimately brings up somebody by the name of Job, does he not? He says, well, what about my servant Job? Oh, yeah, I know that guy. How does he know that guy? Notice it says in Job chapter 1 verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Where did he go, Job's. He had already seen Job. He had observed Job. He had probably been around Job. He had made it his personal purpose to kind of get a feel for what's going on with that guy. I'm sure Job bothered the life out of Satan. I mean, there aren't that many that can measure up to 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 the commentary that God gives for Job. But I'll tell you what, he goes back and he spends some time with Job. He reaches out and he touches him, in a sense, in a very negative, cruel way. He spends time with some really dedicated Christians. I don't know about you, but when people don't want anything to do with the gospel, they don't want anything to do with the word of God, they rarely want anything to do with the people of God. Satan, boy, I tell you what, he is so bent on wrecking and ruining your life, my life, and anyone's life that, measures, that, that, that has any effect whatsoever on the pleasure of God. He is determined to wreck and ruin our lives. So he will spend time with dedicated believers. Because he wants to get you off the course. He wants to sidetrack you. He wants to divert your attention. He wants you to get your focus somewhere other than the will of the Lord, the Word of God the way of Christ. He spends time with dedicated Christians. Boy, there is truly an importance in our life of having positive influence. Boy, we need a positive influence in our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Are you walking with wise men? You know, why might Satan be a better Christian than some Christians? Because he spends time with dedicated believers. Do you? I mean, is the world your friend, so to speak? Well, you've got to be careful who you allow to influence you. And if you claim to have a friend, then you have agreed to allow a person to influence your life. My question is, are they a dedicated Christian? Can you be sure that their only influence will be that which will move you closer to Him, not further away? Boy, Satan is a. Satan sometimes, although he'll never be a Christian based on what we understand and learn in the Word of God, but he sometimes may appear to be a better Christian because at least he spends time with dedicated Christians. Number eight, why might Satan. Be a better Christian than some Christians. Well, he constantly works toward his cause. He is constantly working toward his cause. Back in the book of Genesis, we, can, we meet up with a man by the name of Adam, and we see his wife Eve in the garden. Do you know that he tricked Eve? Satan deceived Eve. He, he tempted Adam, and unfortunately, um, Adam succumbed to the temptation. He corrupted the earth completely by Noah's day, virtually. Almost everyone other than Noah. We are told that Noah and his three children, his wife, their wives, ultimately got on an ark. Why? Because Satan was so bent on destroying what God created. Wrecking and ruining everything good about the creation of God. Do you know that there's not one thing that is good that he has not tried to destroy? We think about the relationship between a husband and wife and what God intended for that. And may I say, Satan has done nothing but seek to wreck and ruin it, to, to pervert it. In every aspect of our lives, whether it's family or friends or whether it's just the work of God or anything, everything good that God has ever created, and it is good because when he created it, he saw that it was good. Satan has sought to destroy it, wreck and ruin it. So he corrupted the earth by Noah's day. The Bible says in Genesis six, five, and six, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he might make that he excuse me, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. He saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, that's that's an indictment, isn't it? So then, we know Abraham ultimately shows up after the flood. God promises him a son. And uh, years pass without a child. Well, I'll tell you what, Satan was on on it again. And I mean to tell you, Abraham and, and Sarah, they became so discouraged and so desperate that ultimately... Satan preys on their weakness. He convinces them to sidestep God and to take matters into their own hands. And so Abraham goes to Hagar and a child is born. Satan at work again. Trying to trying to thwart the work of God in the life of man, in the lives of men, mankind. Trying to somehow destroy the inevitable, the Christ child. To wreck and ruin the plan of God. That's all He wants to do. Go ahead and take a step outside the church. Go ahead and disregard the Word of God. Go ahead and just follow your own desires and your own goals and your own aspirations. But may I say that you will be on the one end, and it will be His end, Satan's end. And He wants nothing good for you. Nothing good. He'll wreck and ruin you. He'll use and abuse you, just like He has every other person. And ultimately, you will be found burning in a place called hell. Actually, the lake of fire, if we want to get technical. What a sad situation, and what a sad commentary for most of mankind. Satan deceiving, and wrecking, and ruining, and destroying. Every time, Satan is relentless in his cause. Let me ask you as a believer... Are you relentless in the cause of Christ? Is it priority number one in your heart? Will you arrive in heaven one day to hear Him say, Well done? Well, we, only you can answer that question, and only I can answer it between me and God. There's a lot of work for me to do yet, I think, a lot of room for growth. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd hate to think that Satan would be a better Christian than me, though. i got to stick with it. i got to stay at it, and so do you. Number nine. Do you know that another reason why Satan might be a better Christian than some Christians, and again, this is, and this one's a little bit touchy here. I mean, I guess you could argue this one, but he's been to Calvary. I know we've been to Calvary through, spiritually speaking, but... He was literally there that day. Don't you think Satan would have been there that glorious day in his mind? He didn't realize how glorious it would be to you and I. But the fact is, at the moment, he thought he was gaining the victory. He thought that all his efforts over those 4,000 years had been profitable, that he'd finally won. <laughs> Look in Matthew chapter 27. Oh, he was there, all right. There's no doubt that he was there. Matthew 27, verse 22. Pilate saith unto them. Verse 22, chapter 27 of Matthew. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Now, earlier, we know that Christ had rode in as a king. What's happening now? Look what happens. He goes on to say, they say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail, nothing. But that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. By the way, he wasn't really. I mean, he may have washed his hands and he may have said, it's not on me. I have nothing to do with this anymore. It's all on you. His blood be on you. But the truth is, he still had the right to make the decision. But nonetheless, we see a total transformation. We see a complete change from just some hours before. Where Jesus is riding in and they're casting palms at His feet. Hosanna! Hosanna! And now they're saying, crucify Him! Crucify Him! What happened? Well, Satan was there. And Satan thought that his plan, his so-called, in his mind, perfect plan, had come to fruition and God would be dead. Jesus Christ, the only hope of mankind... Gone. Well, the joke's on you, buddy. Because he rose again the third day. He'd been to Calvary. He, he's been there. He literally was there. And Finally, why Satan might make a better Christian than some Christians. Yeah, he's faithful to attend every church service concerned about souls, very familiar with the Scriptures, talks to God on a consistent basis, not bothered by what others think. He believes in heaven and hell. He spends time with dedicated Christians. He constantly works toward his cause. He's been to Calvary, but finally, he knows his eternal destiny. He knows. Look, if you would, in chapter 12 of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to begin reading verse 7. Notice what it says here. Revelation chapter 12. Beginning in verse seven again, it says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the world and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accursed them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Boy, I mean to tell you, we're living in what's called the dispensation of grace. And God has blessed us, and we simply need to receive and accept Christ. And, and by receiving and accepting Him, our sin is washed away by the precious blood of Jesus. We become part of the family of God, and we are given an eternal inheritance. There's coming a day when Christ Himself shall return in the clouds. And the Bible talks about it in the book of Thessalonians chapter 4. It talks about it over in the book of Revelation chapter 4. And we'll be caught up together with Him in the clouds to ever be with the Lord. And when that happens, the dispensation of grace discontinues. And we move on into what's called the tribulation at some point. And for seven years there'll be a judging taking place. Difficulty and tribulation like never before, especially the last three and a half years. And what we find here is that Satan himself in the heavenlies will have war with Michael, the archangel and the, 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 the soldiers of Christ, and they'll destroy his his him, in a sense, and his army, and he'll be cast down to this place, earth, literally to dwell here. That's where we see in the middle of the tribulation, we see the Antichrist going down, having a wound that appears to be a deadly wound, whether his life is totally and completely gone or whether it appears that he has died and resurrected. I'm not 100%. I personally think he dies and resurrects, just like Jesus did. But nonetheless, the Antichrist comes forth again. Here he is signing peace treaty after peace treaty, looking like he's trying to bring the world into peace the first three and a half years. And then all of a sudden, this wound, and boom, Satan is cast down. And when he's cast down, the Antichrist raises up. A different man than he was. Filled with Satan. And the Bible says there'll be tribulation like never before. That last three and a half years, that's what's taking place. Satan has been cast down and he says, woe to the inhabitants. Why? Because Satan knows he has but a short time. Satan knows if he's going to perform his cause, if he's going to reach his goals, it better happen now. He's already been behind the eight ball. He's lost in a number of battles, but the war's still to be fought and he's still in it all the way. He knows his eternal destination, the lake of fire. And if I'm going to hurt God, I'm going to have to do it now. He still thinks he has a chance maybe, but he's also convinced he has but a short time to get her done. What about you? Over in the book of Revelation chapter 20 verse 15, the Bible simply says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Has your name been placed in the book of life? You say, sure it has. Well, how did it get there? Well, that's between me and God. My friend, let me tell you something. You can hide behind that all day long. But you better know from the Bible why your name's in that book. You ought to be able to point people to it and say, you know what, I'm not just, I'm not just saved. I'm not just, I just don't just know my name's in the book of life. I want people to know that, and I want them to know how their name can get there too. That's how you ought to be. It always bothers me when I knock on a door and I ask somebody, you know, if you died today, are you 100% sure we'd spend eternity? And they say this to me. Well, actually, I think that's personal. That's probably none of your business. I think within you obviously don't know. I don't think anybody that knows Christ would ever respond that way. I just don't know how you could, and if you do, you're a very bitter soul, my friend, and you better get right with God. But I'm going to tell you something. You ought to know where you're going to spend eternity, and you can know it's heaven. Matter of fact, in the book of 1 John, turn there if you would, please. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Boy, you need to know this. You've got to settle this. Because if not, Satan's gonna go ahead and he's gonna get in the back door and he's gonna get you to doubt constantly. He's gonna keep you from becoming everything you need to become, which will keep you from doing everything God wants you to do. See, it's not about what you're doing, it's who you are that's the real issue. God wants you to become the person he wants you to be. Christ-like in character, Christ-like in attitude, Christ-like in action. Then he'll do with you what he wants. But if you don't know you're saved, if you're not for sure heaven's your home, if you don't know where your destination is, your eternal destination, then you'll spend a lifetime searching for something that you could have had guaranteed all along. And wouldn't have to worry a lick about it. That's what it says in 1 John 5:13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. In just a moment, we're going to close this service. And in just a moment, we're going to have the music play and have you stand. And we're going to invite people to come forward. We call these steps an altar whenever that time comes. There are good means to get up to the stage right now, but when the what we call the altar call starts, they change. They become an altar, a place where we die, a place where we give it all to Christ, a place where we come and we pray and we seek His face and we say, You've spoken to my heart and I want to make some, I'm making a decision on your behalf. I'm giving something up or I'm receiving something you're giving me, whatever it might be. We do business with God at what we call an altar. These steps become that altar. And in just a moment, as you make your way forward, I want you to know if you come up and say, you know what, I don't know for sure where my eternal destination is. I'd like to settle that. I'd like to know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Can I tell you, we're not going to open up some church manual. We're not going to ask the pastor to give his opinion. We're going to simply open up this precious book, the word of God, and show you the precious promises that are found in this book. Because the truth is, is that God has already outlined how we find him and how our names get placed in the book of life. And the truth is, 2,000 years ago, when Satan thought he won the victory, really lost. Because Satan, Satan didn't realize Jesus Christ did indeed rise again. And boy, I tell you, he thought he had the victory. But boy, that third day, he was so disappointed. Boy, I tell you what, Jesus rising says, if he himself, being dead, can live, he also can extend life to you who are dead in sin. And Jesus Christ will do that if you cry out to him, if you humble your heart, if you'll yield to yourself to him, if you'll just give yourself to him, Christ, I'm a sinner, Christ, I know I've failed you, Christ, I know I've let you down. I need you, Jesus, forgive me, save me. It's really not any harder than that, really, but you'll see it for yourself in the word of God. Because the truth is, your opinion, my opinion, is no better than each other's. It's no better than mine, mine's no better than yours. It's like they say, it's, they're like noses, opinions are. Everybody has one, nobody likes them. I wish I had a different nose. The fact is, we just got opinions. You know, and all of our opinions are the same. But you know what, he's the one, his is what matters. So in just a moment, I wonder, as a believer, how you're faring up to Satan. Could he possibly be a better Christian than Christians? And if you're lost today, I want you to know if Satan knows his eternal destination, don't you think for a moment that God doesn't want you to know. He wants you to know. He wants you to settle it. Settle it today, will you? Won't you just deal with it today? Don't worry about what other people think for a moment. Don't worry about what your neighbor thinks or the person that brought you. Or maybe you just showed up and think, I don't even know anybody here. They'll 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 look at me cockeyed. They'll look at me crazy. You know what? I don't care how you dress. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how you smell, to be frank with you. What I do care is that you know Jesus Christ before you walk out the doors of this place. And that's what he cares about. We're just sinners and we need saved. If you've not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, get saved today. Father, we come to you. We ask your God that you just bless us and help us today.